The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. All right. We have and are continuing our uh, sermon series through the book of Isaiah. Uh, If you're tired of going through the book of Isaiah, too bad. Uh, But if you're enjoying it, hold on. We still got more chapters to go. But what we have tried to convey throughout the series is that Yahweh saves. Salvation is not cheap, and we have to understand through reading these passages what God is um, saying to the implied audience and what the author is trying to communicate to these individuals. So one of the things that we, I want us to understand as we continue to read is that uh, this passage, although in Scripture, is although written, uh, it is not necessarily written to us. Uh, one of the things that we should fundamentally understand that Scripture is written for us. And so then that means we take a glimpse of what we read to apply it to our lives, but yet we have to understand what the implied audience is going through, and what the implied author is speaking directly to. And what we can say from the previous 44 chapters is that God has been trying to speak to a people about their idolatrous ways, about their rebellion, and about how to serve in a just way. Sometimes when we talk about justice, I know a lot of times we look at it from the aspect and the lens of what we are currently going through. But if you were to think about a people in their historical context uh, that in the ancient Near East who had no civilization, justice meant far more than what we, when we think they're trying to construct a society to live civilly amongst one another. And not having that, a lot of times people are taken advantage of, and people are oppressed, and people are marginalized, and things that are done in the name of God, but done for their own, uh, for their own sacrifices, their own religion. And this is one of the things that God is trying to say to the people of God in, the, in 43, 8 through 44, 2, 22, is that you've created and constructed idols, Uh, And you've created and constructed a religion that you want to worship. I think we can say that that is something that has happened in our society. So when we peer into this particular text, I want us to look at it from that perspective, but understanding that God is still a God that is trying to save his people from destruction, trying to save his people and redeem them for his glory. That is at the backdrop of what we are we understand, and that is why the title of our sermon series is Yahweh Saves. Uh, we are going to read uh, a few passages of Scripture from four, chapter 43, verses 8 through 10, and then we're going to read chapter 44, 9 uh, through 20. Will you hear the word of the Lord? A little feedback. Am I good? Okay. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. Hello, hello. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, 
who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be of any. Going to 44, starting at verse 9. Chapter 44, starting at verse 9. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coal, works it over the coals. He fashions it with a hammer, with with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He's hungry. He becomes hungry and he strengthens he strengths his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it with a, pen, with a pencil. He shapes it with his plane and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into, figure, into the figure of a man and the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it, and then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the, over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he shall he makes into a god his idol and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, underline this in your Bible, deliver me for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern for, and he's talking about the idol, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, 
nor is there knowledge or discernment to say. Half of it I burn in the fire. I also bake on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Verse 20. He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? This is the word of God. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that we hear your word and we do not hear Michael Davis. Pray, Jesus, that you speak directly to your people from your Bible, your word, which you've constructed to lead us and guide us in our worship and to understand you uh, deeper and more significantly. I pray, God, that this encourages us to worship the one true God and not worship idols that we've created. Hide me beneath your cross. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All God's people say together, amen. Amen. As we worship God together, I do do not want to, this morning, I don't want to take it lightly what this weekend and what tomorrow is, what it means. Many have fought for justice alongside of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And many who have fought for those civil rights were for black and brown people who were not considered citizens in the United States of America. In the fight for justice, precious lives have been sacrificed. They've been sacrificed to defeat idolatry, believe it or not. Idols such as power, privilege, racism, classism, sexism, the idolatries of political and systemic ideologies that ones uphold. Dr. King desired to defeat such idolatry in the I Have a Dream speech, which was well-known, powerful, and prophetic. When he said this statement, I look for the day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, there have been great strides, many of us know, from the history of these yet to be United States. But yet, we are still trying to fight for equality, equity, and justice by facing the wall and mechanisms of destructive and demonic forces. I say demonic intentionally because our society continues to persist in division amongst our nation, and we continue to be influenced with division as a church. And this demonic force causes us to be blind to the, loss, to, the lo- to the lost lives of lynching. Families who have lost loved ones because their loved ones have been burned, they've been drugged, they've been beaten, they've been hung. All of the horrors that shows that people are not good people inherently. We need a redeemer. Also, many face 
incarceration because they have been wrongly accused due to the color of their skin. Many have also tried to scientifically prove that black and brown people are more inferior than others. So we see that it is all around us. But yet what we have to recognize is these are not just mere mechanisms in place. They are demonic forces to destroy all of us. I hope you see it. But the question is why? Why do these things go unchecked? How has this been able to go so long? Why have we been so blind and how can we understand these to be idols? I'm glad that you asked several of those questions. And the reason I'm glad you asked is because I think it pertains to understanding idolatry from a basic biblical understanding in the ancient Near East text, their context, for our passage. It was G.K. Bill who said this in a book that he wrote on biblical idolatry, that we resemble what we revere, either for ruin or restoration. We resemble what we revere or honor, either for ruin or restoration. I want you to think about it. Many of us were appalled and taken aback when we seen many people, people take the capital and hold Jesus saves, have crosses and have nooses at the same time. How can hatred and, and Jesus, God being loved, be on the same pedestal? Doesn't make sense. If you were to think about this in the sense that I want just to look at, a, 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 at our passage from the idolatry standpoint, oftentimes when you read biblical passages in the historical context of the Old Testament, sometimes you can overlook what it is saying about idols. Let me just explain this just a little bit. When it talks about idols, it mentions a God. This idol is not merely an object constructed for people from wood or from metal or stone. There's Dr. Heiser from uh, uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary who wrote this, that the Old Testament fer refers to gods as demons. The Old Testament refers to gods as demons, which are known as low-ranking divine beings from other ancient Near East texts. So this was actually written in historical ancient Near East texts outside of the Bible. That demonic forces, other worldly forces, were being were being in, uh, 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 inhabiting the things that they were creating in order for them to worship. Let me explain it just a little bit further. This was represented because there was a distinction between the carving or the, the wooden image that they would make and the deity and what it represented. For instance, in, in the Akkadian inscription, which is an old historical people, they actually would have a God that they would worship and yet that God was destroyed. And when the incident happened, it didn't necessarily kill the God because he was still alive. What they would do, although there was a tragic event that happened to the idol, they would create another image in order for the God to inhabit. Therefore, the God in their understanding still existed, although that the image or the idol was destroyed maybe threatening their God, but did not kill their God. So when you think about this, many of us would say to ourselves, why do an ancient Israelite people worship idols who are mute, who as the Bible would describe are deaf and blind? 
And what God is making the case in chapter 43 and 44, that these idols cannot do nothing. They're absolutely mute. How is it that Israel is influenced by context around them and God has done miraculous things like deliver them from Egypt? When you look at your Bible, you see that God has used representatives in order to speak to the people. They have forefathers such as Abraham and Jacob and, and Isaac and, and Moses who, who, who have been individuals who have showed the people of God that God is real, that Yahweh, this personal God, actually loves and cares for them, and this is why he's taken them uh, from the bondage of Egypt. But yet, at the same time, there were individuals who, when you look at image in the Bible, would image one another, and what they would do is they would deify themselves. So you see Pharaoh deifying himself. You see queens deifying themselves. You see other individuals who would call themselves deities. Therefore, that's what they worship. So in the context of understanding gods, it was still hard for them to understand Yahweh, and that is why they consistently tried to worship other idols. Now, what does that mean for us? How does this pertain to where we are? How does this, what does this, what does this mean for us? I think that the statement, we resemble what we revere, either for ruin or, or for restoration, I think that that's still applicable in the way that we see idolatry. Because when we have a clearer understanding of what it means that demonic forces are at play, then yes, through money, yes, through greed, yes, through sex trafficking, yes, through power, yes, through control, many of these things that we desire become idolatrous, and yet we don't know that they're controlling us. When one idol is knocked down, we're still worshiping something that we desire. We just place God in something else. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? And so, I know it's been a long time since some of us have been in worship. I still like amens. I know maybe you wasn't saying amen virtually, but two or three amens bless a brother every now and then. Once again, this gives us a clearer perspective. And a modern understanding of idolatry is that there are demonic forces at play. It was Paul who said in 1 Corinthians, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, he says this, No, I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. I really want to emphasize this. Because there's no way that people can hate a people and proclaim Jesus and not be, influ not be influenced by demonic forces. So when Paul talks about the, the principalities, the cosmic authorities in Ephesians chapter 6, when he talks about the spiritual darkness that's at play, sometimes we walk in our lives because what happens is, as American people, we haven't seen too many demonic forces unless we have been in some, some different setting sometimes. And so we don't understand that there are things that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy us. That's what the Bible say. I didn't make it up. There was a, there was a Satan that tried to sift Peter as wheat. There was a Satan who used a serpent in order to deceive Adam and Eve. 
God is at God is saying that you become all of us become subjected to forces that are unknown when our hearts are not transformed. So here's the big big idea. This is what I want you to know. You can't you can't transform your own heart. God does. So once you admit your powerlessness, you will see God begin to powerfully transform you. Even though you struggle with wrestling with all of these demonic forces. Why? Because Peter, Paul says it best. You need to equip yourself with the armor of God. We don't need to equip ourselves with better policies necessarily. All those thing, although those things are good. We don't need to equip ourselves by thinking that we can live a dream in America. We, we don't need to equip ourselves by trying to make sure that we can live our best, le- best life now. We don't need to equip ourselves by trying to use, uh, uh, the foot, the, use other people as our footstool to step up. We don't need all of these things to equip ourselves. We need God to transform us in our hearts. Because the very thing that many of us love, Tim Keller, who, who, who is influenced heavily by C.S. Lewis, where he says that our hearts are idol-making factories. But when you take it a step further, many of, us could, many of us are okay and complacent with our idolatry when we don't understand that it's a demonic force. We're complacent and okay with our idolatry when we see and people around us have used hatred have used all of these things of division, have said things that have have been hateful and hurtful things. Many of us who have fallen subject to pornography, which is sex trafficking, have used those same things, and we can see big corporations who've fallen to those things because of capitalism. It's demonic. I know we want a democracy that, is, that will speak to our needs, but I want to say that it's not a democracy that comes from heaven. Only God gives that agenda. So Christians, what this means is we need God to wake us up, give us eyes that have spiritual eyes, give us ears that have spiritual ears. Now, when you look at this, when we look at the Bible, we see that in the Bible, when it is referring to spiritual, de- spiritual uh, ears and spiritual uh, uh, eyes, deaf or blind, you can see Jesus also using this in the New Testament. Oftentimes what it's referring to is idolatry or paganism. That's what it, when you, when you look at the Bible and you just play that out in the Bible, do a biblical theology of where does it say blind, deaf uh, 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 in the Bible and what does it refer to, you will see consistently that it refers to demonic forces, which I'm consistently saying are idols. And I believe the Bible is consistently saying are idols. So what does this mean, Mike? You told us our big idea. You're telling us what this means. It's saying that we need salvation for sure. We can't create it ourselves. If, I, if, I, if you were to see, when you read chapter 44, verses 9 through 20, what the, what the ironsmith did and what the craftsmen did, you know what they did? They tried to create their own religion. They tried to create their own transformation. They tried to create their own salvation. We can't do that. That's demonic deception that will ultimately lead to our own demise. So what is it? I think like anybody that goes to an AA meeting, you have to stand up and admit something. You have to admit that you have a problem. 
And that's what I believe, and that's why I say in the big idea that we have to admit that we're not the work, we're not the ones that are doing the transformative work. What we have to admit is that we're witnesses of the one true God. That's the main point I want you to take away, and that's the only thing that I'm going to unfold this morning. And here's what I want you to understand. When we look at this passage summary, you look at it and you see God at work. And what he does, and Richard dealt with this last week, he sets this courtroom up. Why? Because what he does is he puts the idols on trial. And he puts the people of God who are deaf and blind as his witnesses. So I want you to think about a courtroom of deaf and blind people who you're bringing up to testify for you. Would you want somebody who, could, who did not see the crime happen be your eye-seeing witness? But God, in his power and sovereignty, says, I'm using incompetent people in order to prove that I am God. How does he say this? This is right in the Bible. When you look right here, he says, bring out the people in verse 8 and 43, who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Nobody can do that. Only God can do that. And then he says in verse 10, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen. This is what he says, that you may know and believe me. That you may know and believe me. That is core into which these individuals need to believe in a God that they cannot fashion, create themselves. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around an invisible God that we can't physically look at as a people. This is what the ancient Israelite is dealing with. I can't physically look at the object and bow my knee to it. But God is saying, I am the same God throughout this text he uses the Red Sea narrative to say, I'm the same God who brought you out of Egypt. You didn't see me then, but you see my works. And therefore, in being this God, you cannot manufacture me. This is what they struggle with. They, did, they struggle with the fact that God was worthy to be worshipped. When you look at Exodus 17, you can go back there and you can see where the people of God said, is he going to show up yet? Is he around here anywhere? Did he bring us out of bondage in order for us to die? This is what they wrestle with. Many of us have asked questions of, is God going to show up? Has he brought me to this point in my life for me to struggle uh, with generational poverty? Has he brought me to this point in my life where I'm never going to get out the ghetto? I'm never going to get out the hood. I'm never going, I'm never going to be the person that I want to be. Has God brought me to that? Has God given me parents that I don't care and like who are always trying to tell me what to do? Kids, have God, has God uh, uh, taken loved ones from me? Has he, is he wrong in doing that? I have no answer for all of the convoluted things that you wrestle with. But here's what I do know. Have you asked yourself or given yourself a retrospective glance at what God has done in your life? When you do a retrospective glance, and that's what Isaiah uses in this poem, he says, he says I want you to look back at what I've been doing. Has any idol done what I've done? 
And here's the deception from the garden. That just as much as Adam and Eve were alienated and separated from God, Israel continues to isolate, alienate, separate themselves from God when they begin to worship these idols. They replace the one true God with false idols. Where God is saying, I want you to replace those false idols and put the one true God there in your heart. You can't create me. You can't manufacture me. You cannot do this because I am the creator, not you, humanity. That's the struggle, I believe, in many of us. Many of us struggle with it, and that's why I believe certain ideologies such as America is a Christian nation or thinking that there are certain political platforms that only vouch for the Christian agenda. That's not true. We believed it for so long. We've been influenced by that. And we have been so susceptible so many times that we have allowed ourselves to justify what has happened over time in order for many of us to sleep at night. And that's just not talking about the political aspect. That's talking about sexually, making sure that we all continue to lust and and desire what pleases our own hearts and and, and, and making sure that we fulfill ourselves with glutton, whether that be money, whether that be sex, whether that be drugs. These things continue to perpetuate themselves. Why? We can't even, some brothers can't look at a woman right because of the idol in their heart. Some people can't sleep at night because they want to take something from somebody else because of the idol of envy and jealousy in their heart. The devil is busy, saints. And if we don't understand it, it will ruin our marriages too. The idol in our marriages oftentimes creeps his head up because we don't want to reconcile. We just want revenge. Or we want to be right. And many of us also struggle because sexually, sexuality, I, 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 I lost a dear friend in the faith because they felt that they struggled with same-sex attraction and they did not see how God was speaking directly to them. And that the Bible was unjust because that's the way that they felt as if they were created and made to love and have a relationship with the same sex. That's what they were attracted to. And so I need to walk away from God because he doesn't understand me. Once again, God created all things. So what what I I believe, I believe that the Bible is trying to say to us, and I'm trying to summarize much of this text so that we can instill it in our hearts, is that this, that just as much as those idols that we fashion and create have features and eyes that show who they are, they're blind. And God smears the blindness of us as well. This is what we see in our text. And we can no longer hear. So when Jesus speaks to Pharisees and Sadducees, when he speaks to the religious leaders and in their own hearts, they have their own religion. And he says that they cannot hear, they cannot see, they're deaf and they're blind. What are they deaf and blind to? They're deaf and blind to the very thing that they've created, their own religious laws. It wasn't the law of Moses. It wasn't the Pentateuch. It wasn't the Torah. It was their own laws that they put in place. I want us to understand that because depending on where you came from, depending on how you understand the Lord, oftentimes you think about idolatry in what you simply do not do. 
behavior behavior modification. Idolatry is not simply about what you do not do. It's not about just materialism or the lack of devotion to God. It's deeper than that. If you grew up in poverty, I can tell you right now, you idolize trying to get out of poverty. You don't want to suffer anymore. So what you want is power. And so if somebody shows you power, whether that is through wheeling a gun in front of your face, flashing cash in front of your face, showing you love by welcoming you into a gang, showing you or, or trying to show you that you can be a superior race over another race, even though uh, 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 you, you, you look one particular way and somebody looks another particular way. The fact of the matter is what you are, what you are making an idol in your heart is that you want power over people. You, so, so you can still try to fight for power even though that you are suffering from generational poverty. And then you got the flip side of it. You have people that are privileged who are completely blind and when uh, they are completely blind to the issues and the matters that are going on in their lives and around them and they have access to resources and they, they, you know, life, is, life is what they want it to be and what they want to accomplish and it's merely, it's, it's, la- it's, not, it's lacking uh, empathy, it's lacking uh, the care for neighbor, it's lacking uh, the, the realization of the position of that individual and where they are. Much of that oftentimes uh, is idolatry. And see, many of us are saying, well, I grew up a particular way, or God, I, I, I couldn't control where I was or where I'm at. The, the, my, my point, and I believe that the Bible point, is not where you are, where you grow up, or how you do It's how you use the things around you. It's how the demonic forces begin to, to, to affect you, and that's what happens with Israel. God delivers them, but yet they're still influenced by ancient Near Eastern contexts, other cultures. So they make cultic religions in order to make their own idea of who God is. Many of us struggle with that. And so here's what I believe. Sometimes um, we, need to, we need to hear. I think we need to hear it that we have a problem. And when we have that problem, God is the only one that can solve it. And so what he says when he prays this ironsmith or this this craftsman, what he says is, deliver me. And he's praying to the idol. How many of us are praying for deliverance in a certain way that is not to God? Only God can deliver us not our idols. So this deep deception and and destruction creeps in and it divides us. And so when Paul says the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over the darkness, the spiritual forces of evil, and all of these things that are playing out, all they're doing is causing us to to want more and more transgress God or wrong God, wrong his people. And when we transgress and wrong people, we also wrong God. That's important for us to know. So then, when we look at this text, uh, verse 17 in chapter 44, verse 17, he says this, and the rest of, of it he makes 
into a god, his idol. He falls down and he worships it. He prays to it and he says, deliver me for you are my God. Psalms, uh, Psalms 115, 4 through 6 gives us a better glimpse or a more of a glimpse of how they view this. This resembl- what we resemble is we revere, uh, we either ruin or restore. Listen what it says in ch- starting at, ch- at verse 4. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. It is the psalmist that is using this same language. And essentially, if you ever heard the phrase that you are what you eat, it's true, right? Many of us who know people and even ourselves that suffer from certain chronic diseases, sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it's because of our diet. Brother like me, I'm trying to get myself together, try to shed a couple pounds, you know. So I know when I eat a certain way, even though that I'm not vegan like my brother, Matthew, can't give up the meat. I'm sorry. Shout out to Matthew, though. He, been sent, he has a YouTube channel, and he's doing all vegan recipes. What I, know, what I know is I am not going to get the outcome of the workout that I do if I eat pizza last night. If I'm eating five guys burgers and fries. If I'm stopping by... Uh, cold stones or, 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 or cheesecake corner and then I want six pack abs not a six pack of beer I cannot get the results I need by the way that I treat my body we cannot grow spiritually as a body if we continue all to fall victim to the very things that we worship that are outside of God. The reason that we are stronger together as a body is because we begin to relinquish the idols or not simply relinquish them, we begin to speak against them and we begin to stand as God's witnesses to affirm the one true God corporately together. That means something to us because many of us, if we have a steady diet of money, sex, and drugs, we'll resemble it. If we have a steady diet of Fox News or CNN or any other political outlet, we'll resemble it. We have a steady diet of New York Times or Wall Street Journal or or the Washington Post, we'll resemble it. Not to say you don't need to inform yourself. But it is to say that you will resemble what you take in. But in a season when we cannot worship together and isolation happens and we feel distance, I want you to understand you'll begin to resemble, your children will begin to resemble the the way that you devote yourself to God. If God is not of importance, children will not see God as of, of importance. We cannot expect our kids to desire and worship God if we don't create that same desire in our hearts and our minds. If our careers become what we worship, we'll resemble it. And if hatred and bigotry become what we worship and is in our heart, we will resemble it. We will become what we worship. And the point is, God is the one who can transform our hearts, and we must admit that he's the one that can do it. 
Here's another quote from G.K. Beale. He says, God is the potter who reforms his sinful people, transforming them from reflection of earthly idolatry images and remaking them into his image. Then they will reflect him, his glorious light, as they separate throughout, I mean, as they spread throughout the earth as his emissaries and emissaries and agents through uh, which God shines his light and reforms others into his image. You've heard me say this before. God has made us to be redemptive change agents in order to do the very work that he is doing in our lives in our own communities. I'll leave you this. As a pastor, I have the privilege of seeing people come to know Jesus. And when you see someone coming to know the Lord, and I've, I've seen them when I, when I was not a pastor. When you see someone converted, what happens is you see God doing the work in someone's heart that you cannot do. You don't know, you don't know, the, you don't know the formula. You don't know the rhyme or the reason. But what you, what, what you experience is that God begins to break down whatever barriers and walls, whatever things that person is holding on to, in order to have them become closer to them. But when you see someone who walks away from God, you see them walking into spiritual darkness. And what you begin to see is someone who downward spirals into their own self-pity, into their own ideals, into their own darkness. And they cannot bring themselves out of that. And it is hard to see that. Many of us, we need to see God do some work in the church. And I know this passage isn't a passage where we're going to slap our neighbor, a high five, we're going to run around sanctuary in a social distance kind of way. But what it should do is help us to see that God made himself aware and known to the Israelites, and he's made himself aware and known to us, and they have had a hard time and a difficult time worshiping the one true God, and I believe oftentimes we do as well. And the table is for us to come, 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 and lay down every weight, everything that we are trying to hold on to and worship him alone. Because this is deliverance. This is where we ought to fall to our knees at his table, feasting together, knowing that he is the one that will continue to do the work of salvation and redemption in our hearts. So that we won't ruin our earth, ruin our communities, ruin the community that we have with one another. But we will restore it as agents of change. Father, we thank you so much that you have made us in your image and your likeness, that we will be people who will uphold truth, and that we will be people that know that our conversion comes from you and you alone. Help us, God, to be witnesses that can see spiritually, that can hear spiritually, that are not deaf and blind that are not worshiping things, and that do not forget what you have done in our lives. But help us to remember, remember your delivering work and power. 
And help us, God, to continue in this worship service to worship you and to give thanks and praise to you and to know that you are the one that has given us a vision to give you all of the glory and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say together.